The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hi, I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me again on Psych Up Live. Have you ever wondered why your efforts at work are just not generating results? Or despite your efforts to lead a volunteer group or engender more interest in a project at work, The results are less than expected. Regardless of your career or present endeavor with others, there will be something for you to take away today. Today we have Ann Corley Baum. She's a senior executive and she's the author of a very clever and valuable little book with a big message. It's called Small Mistakes, Big Consequences. Develop your soft skills to help you succeed. And she draws upon her business experience and leadership development programs to offer us new perspectives and some real usable soft skills to improve our success. Ann Corley Baum is the Lehigh Valley Executive and Vice President for Capital Blue Cross. Prior to joining Capital Blue Cross, she taught leadership through executive coaching programs and seminars of her company, Vision Accomplished. She has received numerous awards for her leadership, including the Athena International Award and the Pennsylvania Best 50 Women in Business Award. Ann Corley Baum, it is my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Well, hello. Well, hi, Anne. So we have a lot of interesting and amusing and important things to talk about. Now, let's start by clarifying soft skills for our listeners. I'll be happy to do so, Suzanne. Soft skills are the things that we do that draw people's perception It's the things that we do that we don't necessarily pay attention to yet can make a huge difference in how someone perceives not only our attitude, but also our expertise or our skill set. We often focus hard on our hard skills, whether it's the words that we're going to say or the numbers we're going to present. And those are incredibly important. But if we're not paying attention to our body language, our facial expressions, the tone of voice that we're using, the way we're standing, we're sitting, the way we shake hands, those can really ruin a relationship or an engagement. And we might have all our numbers in place. We might have said all the correct words. But if we're not thinking about those soft skills, they can really make a difference in success versus failure. Mm-hmm. I think of one example with a young engineer, and he was working in a company and where he was with allegedly one of the premier uh, managers. And this manager was very, very smart in the hard skills, but he made almost no verbal contact, support, or rally in exchange with his team. And this one young man said to me, I know he's good, but I cannot stay there anymore. I feel too isolated, too incidental. 
I, I feel like just one one another you know nut in, in the whole big picture uh, of the wheels and the and I just can't stay. So when you when I read your book, I thought, well, there's an example with a manager who's successful from a hard skills point of view. But here's a young man he lost because there really was no communication. Right, and I think that happens all of the time where people don't realize how important it is to truly engage with another person. And whether it's making sincere eye contact with them, whether it's really listening to what they're saying and listening to learn versus listening to answer, these are the type of things that really build true and lasting relationships. And if you don't have those true and lasting relationships, it's very difficult to build a business relationship on top of that. Mm -hmm. Now, you've seen it as an executive. So as we speak today, we're going to look at some of these skills, which you, in a very clever way, have embodied into little personality types. But let's We'll be talking about it from the boss's perspective, from the employee's perspective. That is how I feel as an employee in terms of looking at myself and whether I am, in fact, making some of these mistakes unwittingly, whether I'm dealing with a boss who's a nightmare, who's constantly making these mistakes, (laughs) or whether I'm dealing next to a cubby with someone who actually continues to... uh, answer the cell phone, keep the cell phone on, or decides to do her hair half of the day. (laughs) So we're going to take a look at those. Now let's start with um, you, you, the first category that you, you call these 16 mistakes and you've conceptualized them as sort of types. And the first person you talk about, um, the trait is the transmitter. Now maybe you Mm -hmm. can share that. So the transmitter is the person who all they're doing is talking. They're completely focused on output. And as the person on the other side of the conversation, you don't have the opportunity to get in a word in edgewise. The problem with the transmitter is it puts the other person in an awkward position. If people are being talked at, you start to lose that communication link. And you need to have honest, open, two-way communication in order to succeed. And if I'm the transmitter, I need to learn how to close my mouth, shut up, and listen, and learn from other people. And I think most people find that when someone is respectful enough to listen to them and their ideas, that it really builds a strong and solid relationship. And they feel really great about that conversation. And when you're the person who is doing the listening and sincerely really listening to somebody, you gain a ton of knowledge about where that person is coming from, what's important to them, what are the results that they're trying to achieve, so that you can then formulate that relationship to turn into something meaningful. And it's hard when somebody is a transmitter, if you're on the other side of that conversation, 
to stop them and try and redirect the conversation. But that's the best thing that you can do. If you wait for them to take a breath, because they always have to breathe, <laughs> you can then uh, stop them and then try and bring them back on point or try and get them back to what you were trying to converse about as opposed to what they start throwing out there. And whenever you can get them redirected, that's a victory with the transmitter. Now, one thing I think that you suggest, but correct me if I'm wrong, is that you say at one point, I think in the example, um, I've heard you, and I'm going to ask that you just listen while I explain something. And when I'm finished, I'm, I'm going to invite your feedback. You sort of literally give them the rules. Yes, and, and sometimes you have to revert to that level of clarity. Many times a transmitter, they don't have a clue that they're doing it. Mm-hmm. It's just their natural way of being. And I've actually used that technique with people that I know either like to interrupt and speak about their idea or somebody that I know isn't focused on where we are. And I found that people are very receptive to it and they're not offended and they actually do stop themselves and listen when you ask them to do so. So it does work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, the next category, I think, and applies not just to the workplace, but to families to mothers in particular, I'm guilty of this, and that is the solver. Before anyone has mentioned half of the problem, boom, the solver moves in. They've got an answer how we're going to do it, and this is what you're going to do. And so I, I think this one moms and dads could take a close look at because one of the things you say that's so important is if you're the constant solver, you will not empower your team and you won't empower your kids or anyone else. That's right. And the solver, as much as you think you're helping somebody and jumping to their aid, one of the things you're doing is taking on all of their problems. And then you become the person that's burdened with coming up with the solutions for all of these things. So not only does it not teach them and empower them, but it overloads you as the solver in having to do all of these extra duties and take on all of these additional responsibilities. So being the solver, as much as it seems like a helpful and wonderful thing to do, it's better to teach people how to solve their own problems and certainly help them along the way but not do it for them. And I love putting, as you put it into the parenting um, context, because I think as a parent, it's naturally what people want to do is help their kids and solve the problems for them. But if you're not teaching them how to do so on their own, you'll be stuck with their problems forever. Oh, yes. Um, The other thing about being the solver and prematurely jumping in with all the ammunition to take care of everyone's problem is very often you are solving something that is not really the problem. That if people, particularly a kid or even I think an employee, is given a chance to really talk about 
what he or she's having difficulty with. By the end of 10 minutes together, you may realize what you were going to solve is not this person's issue at all. You're exactly right. And making the assumption that when you're hearing somebody start to say the problem, that that's really the problem they're trying to solve, that can easily lead you down the wrong rabbit hole. And asking clarifying questions, having that person, giving that person the opportunity to speak through and talk through where they're going, more often than not, the question that they're asking or the problem they think they need to solve is not actually the problem. So getting back to that being a good listener, having that open, two-way, honest communication, that helps you ultimately get to what the real problem is. And then coaching someone through and empowering them to solve the problem on their own is a much more solid way to get to the real solution in the long run. One thing I like that you you suggested is actually before you jump in asking the person what they think could work because that's you know, it, like give, such a good way of having them being empowered and getting feedback. You know, it's 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 something that I've noticed over the years is most people that come to you in a leadership role or even kids that come to their parents they have an idea about what the solution is, but they're not necessarily confident in it or they're not sure if it's the right solution and or they're afraid to take that risk and pursue that solution. So most of the time they're coming for reassurance. And if you jump in and solve the problem for them, one, it doesn't build their confidence. Two, it doesn't allow them to see that they didn't even need to ask and they could do it on their own. Right, right. Now, the next topic you called the ne- the front shirt presser. And the image that you give is, you know, someone who didn't bother noticing they're not wearing really something clean or pressed and they've just done the minimum of grooming. And I started talking to people about And I really want to know your perspective as someone who's been in the business world for so long, this um, dress down Friday and the more um, casual dress in the millennial crowd and in some tech offices and the impact you think that has had. Sure. Okay. So the the front of shirt presser, the idea is that your grooming matters and the The way you carry yourself, the way you groom yourself, the way you dress, it drives how people perceive you. So taking time to look your best and make sure that you didn't just press the part of your shirt that shows through the jacket, but that you did take the time to make sure that your whole presence is the best that it can be. It really does matter. It's interesting that you bring up uh, business casual and casual Fridays. The same premise applies. Just because it's casual dress doesn't mean that you shouldn't be well put together, clean, not having rips in your clothing, holes, um, buttons missing, uh, (laughs) disheveled hair, things like that. I mean, just taking that extra minute, people are busy, you're rushing, but 
take that extra minute to make sure that what other people see is the best version of you because it drives what they think about you as a reliable person and also what they think about the quality of your work. So if you don't take the time to make sure that you're clean and well put together, what does that mean about the work product that you produce? Are you skimping on that as well? It just places unnecessary doubt in people's mind, and it doesn't take that long to make sure that you're well put together. Right, right. We're going to take a brief break, but this it's such an interesting topic. You, you've been listening to Psych Up Live, and we're here speaking with Ann Corley Baum. She's a senior Lehigh executive and the author of a very important little book, Small Mistakes, Big Consequences, Develop Your Soft Skills to Help You Succeed. Stay with us. We have much more. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation. Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in for In the Black. Host Bob Dickerson and his guests take a look at black America and its socioeconomic place. In the Black will discuss the positive issues affecting black Americans, including education improvements, business growth, closing the racial wealth gap, activism, and more. In order for America to reach its full potential, black America must do the same. Tune into In the Black, live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. 
to Psych Up Live. We're here speaking with Ann Corley Baum. She has tremendous experience in the business world, and she's talking to us about soft skills that might really make a difference in helping you succeed. So one of the other topics or titles that you give us is the blamer, the person in the office or in the school or on the team who literally does not own mistakes. This person will blame anybody else, but take a look at themselves. Now, how do you handle someone like this, Anne? Well, the interesting thing about the blamer is they they always have an excuse as to why it's somebody else's problem that they didn't do what they agreed to do. So when you're dealing with a blamer, one of the the best ways to start dealing with them is to lay out your expectations of what they agreed to do and set very firm follow-up and deadlines with them. Mm-hmm. The, the interesting thing about a blamer is they either never were taught to be empowered and own their mistakes and learn from them, or they just aren't a good team member. So you have to figure out which they are. It is possible to teach somebody to be accountable and let them know that it's okay to make a mistake as long as you learn from that mistake. And by setting guidelines and holding them accountable and not letting them put the blame on others, then you can start to teach that. But if you find that that individual despite your best efforts in coaching them, is still just not somebody who's ever going to own anything, then that somebody might need to move on and move them out of your organization. Mm. I like what you said because I started thinking of people who are very, very anxious about making a mistake and, and, and therefore won't own it. But what you just said is that sending the message about, we talk about the growth mindset you know, in terms of the power of owning a mistake and seeing it as a step toward improvement, um, self-reflection, improvement. In fact, there are some books on, there's one book on a woman wrote on the, the 20 mistakes or the 12 mistakes I made in business in terms of how powerful using mistakes can be in terms of learning. So I, I, I like what you say in terms of being able to explain to the person, I, I don't have a problem with you making a mistake. It's the owning of it that gives us the chance to work with it. Right. And there's a lot of people that will say fail faster because the faster you figure out your decision that you made is the wrong decision, the faster you can learn from it and make the next best, better decision. And that makes you a good leader. It makes you a great innovator, great entrepreneur. It's really important that... As a leader of a team, you're accepting of the mistakes as long as it's productive and that people don't keep making the same mistake over and over again. A friend of mine calls that those become blunders, and then those aren't acceptable. If you keep doing the same thing wrong over and over. Oh, interesting. Now, here's something that affects people who are teaching, people in the office, and that is the smartphone checker. <clears throat> yes. I, I asked so, I asked a um <clears throat> a CEO <clears throat> if he asked people to shut their cell phones off or put them on vibrate during the meeting. And he said most people, this was an engineering firm, 
um, were actually um, did not put their cell phones on the table. But I have been in situations, and when I taught, I really asked students to put it on vibrate and take it off the table because we know that there's no way you can listen and write a text message at the same time. That's right. As much as we think that we're great multitaskers, it's really not possible possible to be present in both what you're writing in the text and listening to what's going on in the room. And I think it's something from a business and even from a home perspective that it's a cultural norm that you can establish. One of the things we do whenever we have our senior team meetings is we made an agreement that we would be present in the room at the time. And so we put our phones aside, we turn them over, we put them on vibrate, and unless somebody has an emergency that has to be dealt with, then they don't pay attention to it. Then we pay attention to each other, and that makes for a much more productive meeting, and it's also very respectful of the other people in the room. And if you have to leave the room for something that's an emergency, then you get up and you go, and then you come back, and then you're present when you're there with the people, whether it's a big group or one-on-one. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you being in in the business world at the moment is this. Years ago, um, managers, CEOs really had someone who was watching all the computers in the room or on the floor, and they knew when someone was shopping as much as they knew that if there was porn on the the, um, computer. But in today's culture everybody's got a cell phone, which is something that often can't, is not, is not being picked up or screened in any way by management. And from what we read, just turning to that cell phone, and many people just personally, as you say, it's a culture, every two minutes take a look and see if they got a tweet. It's 25 minutes to get back and refocus. So the amount of time lost in a, in a job or in a business sense, pr- becomes pretty hefty. So I'm wondering, what are businesses doing at the moment about that kind of situation, and what would you do as someone in charge? Well, I, I agree with you. It's far less easy to monitor what people are doing. But I think one of the greatest ways that you balance people's attention is that you set your productivity standards in a way that people, you make sure that people are getting the job, the work done that they needed to get done. And so instead of having to monitor every site that they're going to, which they wouldn't be going to through their regular um, computer, computer, right? You make sure that they're they're doing what they need to do. They're answering the number of calls they're expected to answer. They're getting their work product accomplished, and it's accomplished well in the time frame that is expected. Unfortunately, or fortunately, um, we have to put trust into our employees to get the job done. And if somebody isn't getting their work done, then you start to dig in to figure out what's causing that. Are they playing solitaire all the time? Are they constantly um, watching their Amazon orders be delivered? Are they watching a movie on the side? So um, 
I think driving really great productivity standards and trusting your employees to do work and then telling them that that's your expectation as well. When you have Mm -hmm. high expectations of people, most people tend to deliver. If you have low expectations, they tend to deliver on the low expectations as well. So letting people know that you don't want them on the phone during work. They have their breaks when they need it to check. And you have these expectations for what results they're expected to achieve. Only when they're not achieving those results do you start to dig into what's their screen time during the workday. I really love it. It fits in with your whole theme of empowering because you're really inviting them to balance it in a way that they are productive and doing well. And if, in fact, um, they're using screen time in some way, but it's not interfering, it reminds me, um, my boys are way out of college, but even in high school, it was mind-blowing to me that they could listen to rock music and do math, but <laughs> it apparently had no impact on their grades. They were very, they were terrific at it. So I thought, well, you have nothing to say here, Sue, because you couldn't do it to rock music, but they can. So it's really, it's a very interesting answer. I really like the empowerment of it to keep your eye on the productivity rather than monitor people as if they are children. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great a great response. Now, when we started the conversation before the show, I mentioned that a lot of people come to me as a therapist with great concern about being the victim of a workplace bully. And the bully could yeah. be the boss. The bully could be the person in the next cubicle. It could be a gender issue. It could be someone who's like an emotional predator who's found out some information is now kind of sparing it around. Um, how do you handle that in the workplace situation? So it, it, bullies are such a, you know, there, there are so many different versions of mm-hmm. bullies. And I think the first place to start is inside yourself and in your own brain. And try and figure out how, like, I don't deserve this. And what can I do to stop this? So now, I want to take off the table... Uh, somebody who's aggressive, like a stalker or something like that. So let's take those like aggressive, bad, bully, like dangerous criminal behavior (laughs) off the table and think about somebody you might perceive as bullying you in the workplace and figure out what's their frame of reference. Why is it that they're behaving in this matter? And do they do it to just you or is it, something that they do to everybody on the team. If it's just you, then one of the things I try to figure out is what's driving that bully behavior, right? Is it it a lack of self-confidence? Is it that they are afraid of you in some way, that they think you're out for their job or that they think they have, that you have more knowledge than they do. And so the first thing is to try and figure out a way to uncover what the underlying cause is and then build that relationship. Now, if it's somebody who's doing it to everybody and they're just a, a jerky manager and they treat everybody like garbage, then that's something that you would escalate. And it depends on the size of your company. Some companies have an HR department that actually has a confidential place to report such things. 
And, you know, it's interesting the example you gave earlier, which was the example of somebody, somebody who is really, they're really smart, but they're a jerk. They don't talk to people. They're not mm-hmm. whatever. I don't right. think a company should settle for that. Mm-hmm. People need to engage with one another and they need to interact with one another. And that needs to come from the top down through the organization. And so raising these type of issues up through HR when it's prevalent across a person's personality and their behavior is really important. And sometimes that person just needs some coaching and they don't even realize that what they're doing is inappropriate or perceived as bullying. Other times they they sure do and they're doing it on purpose. And maybe that's the person that you don't need in your organization any longer. Mm. Now, it's, uh, you know, if you were at the top, the person I'm sure would have an HR that would be responsive. But I think what you're saying is in terms of when you say look at yourself, um, in one case, the young man working in a medical situation, um, no matter how many times he went to HR and there was nothing happening that was going to change. And he knew he personally could not stay. Now, sometimes a working mom, let's say, um, and, and a single parent She's in a position in one case where she could not leave. and But an interesting hap- thing happened. The rest of the team kept supporting her, even though the boss was a jerk. So that, you know, people can help people, but those are the extreme outlier examples when there's no help within HR. But I think when it's a viable situation, you hope that HR can make a difference. Yes, and and it. I know people are afraid sometimes to reach out to HR. They're afraid to even reach out to somebody in a higher position in the organization. But I think now more than ever, companies recognize that a toxic work environment is not good for anybody. It's certainly not good for the employees. It's not good for the person who's doing the bullying, and quite frankly, it's not good for the bottom line. So I think in the last few years, the receptivity of leaders and HR departments to doing something about these type of issues has increased significantly. Yes. Um, you'll, you'll always have companies where it doesn't happen, but at least raising it and making sure that you have good examples, I think that's one of the things to really think through. If you're, if you're feeling that you're being bullied and you're doing, you've done everything that you can to try and deal with it yourself, have some good concrete examples to share because it's very difficult for HR to do something without concrete examples. When they have concrete examples, they, that gives them something to work with. Mm, great advice. Great advice. Um, so we're going to take a brief break, but when we come back in, I want to talk about the person or the type that you labeled the wandering eye, um, because I've gotten a few interesting descriptions of this as I've asked around, and I'm sure our listeners are going to want to know 
how do we handle that? You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Ann Corley Baum. She's a real expert in the business world and the workplace. She's a senior Lehigh executive. And her new book is Small Mistakes, Big Consequences. Develop your soft skills to help you succeed. Stay with us. Much more coming. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input, too. Listen for Brave Hearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Are you looking for a fun yet informative program about health care for your pet? Check out Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. They look into natural health alternatives for ourselves, so why not our pets? This program provides the most up-to-date, accurate, and innovative information about traditional and holistic veterinary medicine. You'll find a ton of answers regarding your pet's health every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're here with Ann Corley Bama. We're talking about soft skills, behaviors that you might observe in yourself or others when you're in a work setting, and the settings could be very varied. And so one of the things we're talking about now is the wandering eye. What You put this in as one of the sort of types. Can we speak a little bit about this, Ann? So the reason I put the wandering eye in there is because making good eye contact makes a huge difference in how people perceive you. And whether you're a male or a female, if you start looking somebody up and down and kind of taking a quick peek either at their outfit or their physique, it sends the wrong message. So if you want somebody to take you seriously, it's really important that you're looking them in the eye. Now, naturally, our eyes 
look in the mouth and nose area. I think it's because maybe we're subliminally lip reading. But as soon as you your eye contact goes below the chin, it changes the entire environment of the conversation, and it's not positive. The other, if you think you can get away with taking a quick look at someone, you're wrong. They know, and you know when somebody does it to you. It's not mm-hmm. flattering. It's not cool. It's inappropriate. So if you want people to take you seriously, it's really important to look them in the eye. Now, one of the things I like to always remind people is once you make up your mind to really be focused on sincere eye contact in somebody's eyes, make sure you don't go over the wall to um, the psycho stare where you're not (laughs) blinking and you're just (laughs) staring at the person because that makes them just as uncomfortable as looking them up and down. It's okay to blink. It's okay to look away. Just make sure that you're looking sincerely at someone so they know you're listening to what it is that they are saying to you. And that builds trust. It's a really, really great skill to have. It sounds, it's it's great. One person suggested, and I have done it, is if it's a group, even beginning the session or the meeting by making eye t- contact just around the room with everyone sitting there is really a way that a leader says, I'm interested in everyone. Uh, that comes yes. from yeah, Salzburg's work. Um, but I love I'm loving what you're saying. Now, the other thing that you said is an issue, and I certainly agree, is the gossip in the workplace. Yes, and we all know them. Right there. Yes. I mean, every company, every neighborhood, every family has them, and this is the person that wants to talk about what's wrong with everybody else. And it's cultural. I mean, we stand in lines at the grocery store and see all the gossip about the royal family and celebrities. So it's something that, when placed in front of us, our our gut feeling is to say, "Oh, tell me more." But the problem with being a gossip is really twofold. First of all, you don't know if it's a fact. It's just somebody's opinion about somebody else. And if you haven't heard it directly from the person, you don't know that it's true. The other problem is when you are somebody who gossips about other people, it takes away your trust because the person to whom you're gossiping wonders what you say about them to other people. Correct. And so it's just a really unflattering and not a trustworthy behavior. It doesn't make you, it it doesn't present you as a leader. Even though it's easy to get sucked into it, the best thing you can do when somebody comes to you with a piece of gossip is you can can push them off and say, oh, my gosh, if I had time to worry about other people's problems, I'd be a lucky woman. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or you can uh, just say, you know, that's I I don't know that firsthand, so I'm not going to go there. Or somebody comes to you and said, oh, so-and-so is really bugging me. I can I basically basically vent to you about it. What I like to do is send them back and say, well, have you had this conversation with that person? Right. Don't have that conversation with me. 
have that conversation with the person that's, that's bothering you, the person with whom you have the issue. That's much more likely to solve the problem than it is to just dump it on me and have me uh, basically pontificate about what you should do without even knowing if it's true. If you mm-hmm. don't know both sides of the story, you can't solve a problem for somebody anyway. Mm, that's great advice. The The other piece that we once mentioned in an earlier show on emotional predators, Anne, was the idea of you're new in the office and someone is extraordinarily interested in your personal details. And it, with the with the manner of, gee, I want to get to know you, there is a real push to know, are you married? If you're not married, where are you? Where do you go? What do you do? And so one of the things that came out of that is be wary about someone who wants to know an excessive amount of detail about your personal life when you're new to an office setting and you have no idea how trustworthy that person is, whether they're going to use that as currency to talk about you or in some way really use it in a negative way. Is that something you've ever heard people mention or be concerned about? Well, I think that's great advice to be wary about it. In in the workplace, it's good to get to know people, but if somebody's really pushing you on super personal information, that's just not necessary. Building relationships around understanding who somebody is and what's important to them is good, but digging into really personal information that could be misused, you don't have to respond to that. It, it, it's not necessary, and somebody who's doing that for inappropriate purposes, you're right, they're a predator, and and that's something to be wary of. Mm. Now, given we're giving many suggestions in terms of communicating, and I know one of the things that you're an expert on is ways to communicate. So for our listeners to hear, what are some ways that you suggest really makes communication effective? Well, I think one of the first things about communication is remembering that communication is a two-way street. And just because you say it doesn't mean the other person heard it or if they heard it, if they understand it. So verifying with somebody and checking to, to make sure that what you said to them took seed in their brain and in the way that you meant to communicate it is really, really great. So that two-way communication is really, really important. The second thing is uh, really making sure that you're listening to people, So not just being the transmitter and throwing ideas out there and leaving it, but truly hearing what they are saying and then using that information to come up with productive, solu- productive solutions together with the other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third thing I would throw out there is give people the benefit of a doubt. Don't, don't label them. Don't make assumptions about them. Don't see them and make decisions about how smart they are or what they know or what they don't know 
based on your first impression. First impressions matter, and you always want to make a good one. But try and truly understand who somebody is, what they have to offer, and where they're coming from, what's their frame of reference, before you make a lot of judgments about them. Our natural inclination, our natural uh, way of behavior is to automatically make assumptions based on someone that we see immediately. But try not to let that cloud your true understanding of who that person is and what they have to offer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of communications, one of the things that you also talk about is the communications online and the problem of ranting in emails about the boss, the work, the other person who wouldn't date you in the office. Is that something something that you generally have to deal with? Yes. So the thing about communicating via email, text, social media, the critical piece that's missing from it is the tone of your voice. And so that tone is left to the person receiving that communication. And so if I say something like, how's that report coming along? Is it ready? That's pretty casual, right? I said it Mm -hmm. with a nice tone of voice. But somebody might read it as, how's that report coming along? Is it ready? (laughs) And panic. That's true, yes. So think about, as you're writing things, how the other person might misinterpret them. And certainly, any e-communication should not be used for difficult conversations. If you have a problem with somebody, go see them in person or pick up the phone and have that difficult conversation. And certainly, don't share that bad feeling that you have about that person with other people via email, via text. Once you send something out into cyberspace, you have no control over what happens to that. And I have seen it time and time again where somebody says something nasty about somebody in an email, send it off to their trusted buddy, And next thing you know, the person about which that bad thing was said has it printed on their desk, and they're confronting the person who sent it originally. So if you don't want to see the other person receive that, if you don't want to see it in a court of law, don't write it down. And be brave. Have the tough conversations. You have a problem with somebody? Talk to them about it. Most of the time, there's a misunderstanding or an assumption behind why the behavior or anger is brewing. So better to talk it through and get it solved than to put it in writing and, in some cases, ruin your career or reputation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sometimes people say, or we say, or I have said to people I'm working with, if you're going to write an e-rant, Do not send it. Read it again the next day. Read it two days later. Read it a week later. Because just what you're saying is true. Once it's out there, it's out there. But I really, I love your clarification by giving us the examples that what's written, we do not hear the nuance. We don't really get the tone. And the same exact question that the boss or someone's asking, is it ready, can be interpreted in so many different ways. That's such good advice. So for our listeners, Anne, I mean, you've talked about and given us so much advice today. What 
take-home strategies would you suggest for those listening in terms of success in business, in schools, in volunteer work? What mini kind of take-home message would you like to offer? Well, I think it's really important to think about your soft skills. It's critically important that you have your numbers correct, that you wrote a great report, that your grammar is correct, but it's also really important what your body language is saying, what your facial expressions are saying, and what your tone of voice is communicating. And when you think about those things and really practice them to improve upon them, you've got a much better chance of success with delivering the hard facts of your product or the report you're delivering or, quite frankly, the message that you're trying to deliver to somebody. When your physical presence is matching what you're trying to accomplish through your numbers, people will perceive you in a trustworthy manner. I think the other piece that's really important is be in two-way conversations with people. See, make sure they're receiving what you're saying to them and then listen, truly, sincerely listen to what they're saying and not leap to judgment, not jump in and try and solve the problem. Really think about how you can have productive, mutually beneficial conversation as opposed to just telling people what you think. It makes a huge difference in your success as a leader, but also in how people will trust you and follow you as you move forward. Very, very, very important. And I really want to thank you for coming on. How will our listeners, how can they find your book, Small Mistakes, Big Consequences? It's available on Amazon.com or Mamosa, which is M-O-M-O-S-A, publishing.com. And we should be looking forward. You're going to do a series of these little books. Is that correct, Anne? Yes, that's correct. The next one will be out in May, and it's Small Mistakes, Big Consequences for Interviews. Okay. Oh, it sounds good. Sounds really good. I want to thank you for coming on and sharing your expertise. I think it's applicable to any endeavors we have. You have so much experience. Thanks, and good luck with this series, Anne. Great. Thank you so much for having me on. Okay. Now, I want to thank my listeners and remind you that you can hear this and any prior show as a podcast. This will be a podcast by 6 p.m. tonight, Eastern. It's a podcast on my host site, on the Voice America website. It's on the apps of your iPhone, iTunes, Sketcha, Google, just about anywhere that you are listening to your podcasts, you can find the Psych Up Live podcast and this one in particular on small mistakes, big consequences. Drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. I'm interested in hearing feedback. But until next week, please take care. Thanks and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, be well and be listening.